if you're going to day two and you're going to be going for prize cash money, uh, that at that point in time, you invest in another pack of sleeves. Okay, buckaroo? It's a good idea. Buckaroo. Buckaroo. Um, <laughs> yeehaw. Yeehaw. We're off to the races. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 312. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Prilliman, and I'm joined this evening afternoon morning drive to work by the one and only Charles Feather. Hello, hello. And the one and only Marco Sanchez. Hello, I am technically on JudgeCast. <laughs> yes, technic- <laughs> I too am technically on JudgeCast. Yes. Oh, that's Some judges deep, who are at SCG Cincinnati cut. this weekend will know what I'm referring to. Oh, that's right. Someone came up to you and was like, well, since you're technically on JudgeCast now. Yeah, had me rolling on the floor. Good times. <laughs> well, what came after that? Oh, man. Uh, uh, asking us to talk about uh, more like intro to judging stuff and like seeing if we were going to update things with more current policy or just kind of revisit some topics that we might have covered in the past. So uh, uh, fellow judge who hit me up, you got your wish. We may have a topic that may be of interest to you if you were looking for a refresh or just at SCG Cincinnati this weekend. Yeah, but I also think that we're also going to get to the intro stuff. I, I think that's a really good point. It's just we're still waiting for some information, I think, from Judge Foundry to flesh some things out before we revisit those topics. Because I, I think things like that will be uh, important and will be something we'll be able to hit at some point yeah. in the yeah. near future. Yeah, there is a little bit like talking about how to become a level one because IJP, I don't think, has announced anything. So realistically the only organization that has a process right now for becoming level one is judge foundry. And I kind of feel like we've talked about them enough recently. We we have, but I I think what will happen too is we'll get some training aids at some point in time and we'll get some, some guidance as to what that looks like. And when, and when that happens, we'll be able to talk a little bit more about it. I'm sure. Yes. But so we asked, we were going to do a episode. uh, We'd asked on Facebook, Twitter, uh, if people could suggest what were their resolutions, and someone suggested, uh, I want as my New Year's resolution, I'm going to build confidence. I was like, well, that's a great hugsy topic, you know. It's my specialty hugs or confidence, uh, more hugs than confidence, yeah, but yes, okay. And and we were like, <laughs> we're going to do this, and then Twitter, like, we'll just just say Twitter. Yeah. I mean, seriously, we could, so long as there's a big event, we could almost do a show after each big event with something that happens there, because there's, there's always something that happens. Let's, let's be for real. But this time around, it was an interesting give and take, and a lot of information was being shared and perspectives were being shared that, while uh, emotional, seemed to lack context and policy, and we refer, and they referenced policy several times, but um, nobody really pulled policy up on it. So here we are. Yep. So what we're going to talk about is marked cards, the marked cards policy. And I was actually surprised when I went back through the archives to look to see if we'd talked about this in the past. We had not done a dedicated episode on marked cards in the 14 true? years. Well, since like episode 40, which was practically another lifetime ago. It was two judge wow. programs ago. <laughs> right. So two for one, okay. we're doing we're doing a new topic and we're doing something important and relevant. Cool. Right. Like like Obama was president. Oh wow. That seems like that seems like a <laughs> long time ago, right? 
That was the before times. Yes. All right. So we're going to talk about mark cards. We're going to talk about what the tournament rules say about mark cards. Then we're going to talk about policy about mark cards. We're going to talk about some common uh, judge misunderstandings about mark cards. And then we're going to talk about some common player misunderstandings about mark cards. Never heard of those. We're going to yeah, have to really no, think on that. None one. of those at all. Okay. So who wants to start us out? So mark cards are defined in the in, in the magic tournament rules. What is what do we got? So the neat thing is is that this policy, before I even start talking about it, is written in such a way that it's very, very uh, user friendly and accessible. Uh, we'd find that the infraction procedure guide tends to be a little bit more technical and worries about fixes and and different upgrade paths. But the the marked cards policy is written f- almost for a general audience, and it says. And well, I'm, I'm yeah, gonna... hang on before we start yeah. talking about what the marked cards policy is. Yeah. Um, because this is talking about players are responsible for making sure their cards aren't marked. Why? Why is marked cards bad? Like, why do we not want marked cards? Oh yeah, sure. Ooh, 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 I know this yeah, one. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> yeah, so we want to avoid marked cards because it's very easy in a game that is kind of fundamentally built off of randomness vis-a-vis your deck being a random pile of cards that if you try to mitigate that that detriment of randomness, uh, suddenly it becomes a much easier game to play and that's not the game everybody signed up to play when they sat down for a tournament. So... We want to keep things on an even keel and make sure that you can't gain an advantage by having your cards marked in any way. Right. And that's like, we all know that there's a ton of magician tricks that involve cards being marked or cards, you know, being manipulated before they start doing the trick along those lines. And, you know, we don't want any of those type of shenanigans in our events. So... Mark cards are important for that reason. Let's 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 get her done. Sure. Uh, so the actual policy for the Magic tournament rules uh, as of uh, end of December, the last update reads: uh, Players are responsible for ensuring that their cards and/or card sleeves are not marked during the tournament. A card or sleeve is considered marked if it bears something that makes it possible to identify the card without seeing its face including but not limited to scratches, discoloration, and bends. So before I go into the next paragraph, let's just break this out just a little bit. Uh, first part, it does say that players are responsible. That is taking the onus away from the uh, manufacturer of the cards. It is taking the onus away from a tournament organizer. Uh, it is making sure that the um, uh, reseller or seller of the product is not responsible for the cards. It is solely the providence of the player. They need to make sure that the cards that they are playing with are not marked. And then it yeah. talks about card sleeves in this as well, because right. because card sleeves are a uh, product that is used by, well, I think just about every player is in a constructed format. It, they help cover the card. And we talk about them because card sleeves can also be marked, uh, whether through wear or through um, a, a production issue. Sometimes the edges will be cut oddly. Uh, I'm looking at you. Well, no, I'm not going to call out a particular company, but there has been a company that's had a problem with this over the last two or three years. Um, you have to check these things as a player, and it's your responsibility to do so. I guess the easiest question would be, it says players are responsible, and the the, the alternative is, is 
who who else could be right, responsible right. for making sure that the cards in that turn that are in, that are being entered into that tournament and we we have we have seen a situation where wizards did take some responsibility they changed the proxy policy for cards in which there are no non-foil printings which right. there were like one or two of them and that this right. was pre, pre this was pre-pandemic uh, that yeah, this that was. was Nexus of Fate and uh, the Vampire from the Commander decks, right? Uh, yes, no, felt... uh, was it a Commander? It was... It's... Yeah, it was something. Yeah, it was the it was like yes. the face card of a Commander deck, which by definition at that time always came in foil. Yeah, I think they still do, but yeah, right. So it's it's only been it's only been two cards, and I think one of them was actually one or both of them have been recently printed in non foil. Nexus was reprinted in non foil. Uh, I'm not sure about the other one. But but this policy is is wonderful and it it places the onus on the player to be responsible for this. But the the events this weekend, the, the player wanted to place the responsibility on wizards for creating a product that would bend, um, and namely the current foiling process that's been in use for however number of years does result in product that bends under certain environmental conditions. I think when we get to the end, we're, when we start talking about like player player arguments and player discussions, we can we can drill we can, into that because that's that's a that, yeah. it is a it is a common uh, at least on social media it is a common rallying cry. Right. All right. And I, and I didn't want to get and past it's a fair this one without at least mention it. Um, it's an interesting one. I you know it, yes, the product should be flat, but beyond that, it's what we have, so we have to work within the reality of that. Next, next paragraph for marked cards uh, policy states, if a player's cards are sleeved, the cards must be examined while in the sleeves to determine if they are marked, i.e., are the sleeves marked or are the cards so bent that, they, that uh, they're uh, readily apparent as marked in the sleeves? Right. Scratches on the back of the cards don't yep. matter if the cards are in sleeves. Right. And fading or anything like that. Uh, right. Players should use care when sleeving their decks and should randomize their decks prior to sleeving them to reduce the possibility of cards being marked with a pattern. Uh, that goes, again, to the, the sides and edges of sleeves sometimes being an issue. Yeah. Uh, I've I've seen cases where, you know, you get a pack of 100 and it's 50 on one side and 50 on another. And the two packs of 50 are slightly different yep. in size. So what will happen is, is you will have 50 cards that are sleeved at one size and then 10 cards that are sleeved at another. So if you don't yeah. randomize it, you could end up with 10 lands that are sleeved differently. And that's, Which is exactly... That's a problem. Yeah. That, that's a problem. That becomes an issue. Uh, players should also keep in mind that cards or sleeves may become worn and potentially marked through play during a tournament. Um, when I when we talked about this briefly on Twitter on the on the JudgeCast Twitter uh, account, one thing that I pointed out is is that if you are in a tournament that's a two day tournament and you play, let's say you play nine rounds in day one and you make the cut to day two, before you go walking into that event hall on day two, take a look at your sleeves. It's entirely possible that depending on your shuffling patterns, depending on your rate of play, depending on a lot of different factors, which I can't figure out all of them right here, that your sleeves are worn inconsistently because maybe you only shuffled your main 60 most of the time and your sideboard wasn't shuffled regularly. Or maybe you have a, a tear in a couple of sleeves or maybe a couple of sleeves 
are really worn for some particular reason uh, compared yeah. to the or rest of Or your opponent is particularly rough when shuffling yep. your deck yep. and wears it down way faster than you would expect to because you know, it, you know how to shuffle your cards it's properly. Reason- they don't. Yeah, it's, it's an absolute reasonable um, expectation that if you're going to day two and you're going to be going for prize cash money, uh, that at that point in time, you invest in another pack of sleeves. Okay, Buckaroo? It's a good idea. Buckaroo. Buckaroo. <laughs> um, yeehaw. Yeehaw. We're off to the races. Um, yeah, and then the, ready, getting ready for Outlaws of Thunder Junction there, Buckaroo. Look, I read this Tumblr <laughs> post where the person who writing it uh, talks to their fans in that way and calls them Buckaroo. And for some reason, it seeped into my language tonight. I apologize. Uh, Chuck, by me. Chuck Tingle, I blame you. Um, well, that there fella's <laughs> all hat and no cattle. <laughs> the, the head... The head judge has the authority to determine if a card in a player's deck is marked. Judges may request that a player remove the current sleeve or replace any of the current deck's current sleeves immediately or before the next round. Uh, That last bit is dependent upon convenience. You know, I think in most cases they're going to ask you to change it immediately. um, But where time is of the essence and where uh, the limited benefit is hopefully negligible. Um, maybe they may have you rush and then have you resleeve in between rounds. Yeah. So let me also point this out with this last paragraph. It says the head judge has the authority to determine if a if card in a player's deck is marked, but judges may request that a player remove their current sleeve. So the the distinction here is the head judge because there is some subjectivity to marked cards. So we're putting the onus on the head judge to acknowledge whether or not a card or cards in a player's deck is marked, okay? And the head judge is the most authoritative judge in the room in terms of responsibility. Yeah. But but just Joe Random judges, you know, or technical hosts of JudgeCast can request that a player <laughs> change their sleeves. Yeah. Um, either and immediately end, or before I mean... the next round. Yeah, I, I've done a lot of deck checks in my day, and there isn't a single time that I ever encountered something that I considered marked that I didn't run by both the other person who I was performing the deck check with and inevitably the head judge before we ever issued anything extremely punitive to the player because it is definitely subjective. And there have been plenty of times where I thought, oh, could this be a pattern? Let me get a double check. No, not so much. Okay, cool. You're fine. There, there is, there's was when we get to the policy section, there is one story where I let the head judge know, I was like, hey, I'm going to go do a cheating investigation for marked cards. And it became a, like a barely even a warning from the head. I'll, I'm going to tell that story because I am. Yeah. I'm, cool. Yeah, I'm Stay tuned, that. listeners. Yeah. Juicy, juicy stuff. The, the one thing I want to point out before we leave this uh, is especially to newer judges, if a complete sleeve replacement for a deck is required, please offer to step in and help the player re-sleeve. If two people re-sleeving is much faster than one and it gets them back to back to battling sooner. And it uh, means that your end of round uh, extension time extensions are hopefully minimized. More hands Uh, mate for less work. Always. Yes. Yes. It's always a good idea to do that. Now, (laughs) when you're doing that, do mm-hmm. not flip the cards over because that is giving away per- potential information that you should not be doing. Make sure you're keeping everything face down as you do it. I, it may sound I like would, common sense, but geez, please be careful. 
I would typically do maybe even that step away, away from, from the, from table. the table. Right, because if I'm if yeah. I'm talking to a player about an because presumably I'm going to be asking a few questions about mark cards before we fix the fix the sleeves. And I don't want to be asking those questions in front of the opponent. Right. And and also it's important to note that in formats where modal double face cards, double face cards are in use, you don't want to be accidentally giving away information because hey, the back of the card is something. So one last yeah. thing before we leave this as well from my end. Uh, I want to remind everybody because not just judges listen to us, players will listen as well, maybe especially after this weekend. And I do want to highlight that this section that we're reading from is from the Magic Tournament rules. Yeah. There is an expectation that when you go to a Magic Tournament, that you are familiar with the Magic Tournament rules, the MTR. I, I, I wish I could ask for a show of hands right now of how many players have actually reviewed the MTR before going to some of these bigger events. And I would guess that a fair amount haven't. So just be aware that there is a lot of information out there for you about what the expectations are of you when you go to a tournament. Yeah, it may not be the most fun reading a few pages of the MTR to read this kind of stuff, but it'll certainly answer your questions if you get a deck check and are asked to go to the side to speak to a judge. So now what we're going to go into is the policy docs, which is, again, it's a public facing document. However, their players can read it, but this is kind of like the archaic spell book of the judges. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, um, pull out my wizard's tome. Yes. All right. So marked cards. It uh, comes with a the, the base level infraction for if you are found to have marked cards is a warning, which is basically a finger wag. And since this is a tournament error, uh, tournament errors get upgraded to a game loss the second time you get, you know, the a marked cards warning. So if you got marked cards, okay, that would be a warning. And then if later in the tournament you are found to have marked cards again, that would be upgraded to a game loss. Now, I, I, I want to, even before we get too far with this, suggest that if you actually have marked cards a second time in a tournament, there's probably going to be a little bit more scrutiny over that. Yeah, um, a lot because, of questions. Because the, the idea here is, is that if we catch it the first time, it's being fixed or addressed before you're going back to the table and playing again. So if it happens a second time, aside from the whole, you know, foiling issue where, you know, sometimes maybe the, the environment changes the foil cards over the course of the day. If it happens a second time in the course of a tournament, um, I'm looking very closely at it then. So way closely. There there was there was an incident that I had just a few months ago, actually, where I ran into this situation. And what happened was, is the way the player was was shuffling cards in his hand. Um, he was putting fingernail marks on the backs of his sleeves. Oh, geez. So okay. while he was doing, so cards that he held onto in his hand longer were getting marks. So we we ran into a deck twice, fixed the sleeves, and then later in the event had them again. Hmm. And it we we had to figure out what was going on. But anyway, so Some the definition are rough on their cards, y'all. Yes. So the definition, cards or sleeves in a player's deck have inconsistencies on them that might allow them to be differentiated from each other while in the library. This includes scuff marks, 
nail marks, discoloration, bent corner, and curving from foils. Okay. Does it actually say curving from foils in the actual... I copied it direct. Yeah. No, okay. Hey, look at that. That was a little surprising. Um, okay. So let's go over that just real quick because the IPG is a very dense document. It's talking about cards and sleeves in a player's deck. Okay. That is not cards in their sideboard. Okay. And then they have inconsistencies on them that might allow, okay, <laughs> that's conditional. They might, might allow them to be differentiated from each other while in the library. Okay, so while they're part of that stack, can they be differentiated? Okay, that might be a ding in the corner. It might be an additional bow. It might be a mark. It might be a fingernail scratch. It might be the fact that you're, look, you've got a double-faced card and your sleeves aren't completely opaque, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, what, are some, what are some examples? Well, if you have, for example, a couple of small marks on a few of your sleeves, I'll use directly from the IPG, it says, if a player has small marks on a few of their sleeves, and let's say the markings are on a mountain, a Loxodon Hierarch, and a Lightning Helix. So, huh. interesting. So we could There's... tell that this example was from Ravnica. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. The, the up, the, they, they rarely update the examples. examples. Yeah. True. I, I think I, I pointed out at one point that there was an example that was still referring to Mythic Championships. Um, mm. So... In this instance, one thing I want to highlight is that the markings are on three entirely different cards and one of each of them. So there doesn't have to be a extremely consistent pattern. So spo spoilers, there is an upgrade for this particular uh, penalty that is not just, oh, it happened a second time. So when Correct. we talk, we're going to be alluding to that when we talk about patterns or not patterns. But the three exactly. cards, Mountain, Luxodon, Lightning, Luxodon, Hierarch, and Lightning Helix are kind of a mishmash of things. Yeah, there's no pattern here. So like nothing super bad, super cheaty is happening here. But by definition, these cards are marked by their sleeves, thus marked cards. Uh, another one is a player has several foil cards that stand out significantly from the rest of their deck. Uh, now, any Magic player who's opened up a box, got a few foils in there that were a little bit curly, a little pringly. Uh, if you ever set them on a stack on a table, you know exactly where those marked cards are in the rest of your deck. If you're playing a deck that has maybe only a couple of cards that are foil in there, same thing can happen even if you're using sleeves. So that can count as a marked card. Uh, also, let's say you're playing a draft and your basic lands in an unsleeved deck because you don't care, you're just playing it for the night. You mix in some basic lands from the land station that's over in your LGS or at an SCG, and you find out that those basic lands have been around for quite some time and the backs are significantly lighter than the cards that you open brand new out of the pack. That is marked cards as well. Yep. Uh, all right, so the philosophy um, for this is you know, sleeves sleeves and cards become worn over the course of a tournament, and as long as the player is not attempting to gain advantage of this, addressing the situation is sufficient in both, both cases. That's why it's a warning. Like, you know, we're assuming that people are honest, and if your Mountain, Luxodon, Hierarch, and Lightning Helix have scuff marks on them, maybe we can clean the scuff marks off, get your little finger wag warning, and go on your merry way. Okay? Yep. 
you know, and we say as long as a player is not attempting to take advantage of this. Okay. Now here's, here's the funny thing. Note that almost all sleeves can be considered marked in some way. Judges should keep this in mind when determining penalties. If you stare long enough at a sleeve, you're going to find something different about it. Like you just are. So let's not like pull out our jeweler's loop and, and be like, well, the seam on the edge of this card is 0.8 microns, you know, (laughs) that kind of thing. Or this, there's a tiny, nearly imperceptible ding in one of the corners kind of thing. Like if you stare at it long enough, you'll be able to find something. So just, you know, okay. If you have to get within like a, a, a like six inches of the sleeve in order to tell a difference, there is no possible way that a player can make use of that marking without being really obvious in the event. Yeah, I've had to explain <laughs> to some judges on a deck checks team uh, before that if you have to like tilt your head and look at the deck at like a parallel line with the deck to find this bent card it's not that bent it's fine like uh, actions of your opponent are taken into account in this instance of were they acting funny and trying to line this up and and boop it around to see if they can find where the card is like that's very noticeable yep next is in the case of marked cards educating the player to shuffle their cards and sleeves before sleeving is very important this is that that thing that i was talking about where you've got 50 50 sleeves of one size and 50 sleeves of another okay yep. Like actually, what I would recommend doing is is get the get the two packs of fifty, put them side by side, and see if you can tell uh tell a difference. You'll probably be able to tell some difference, but mostly you're looking for size, and then shuffle them together. And then once the sleeves are shuffled together, can you really discern? And if the mm-hmm. answer is yes, because you know some sleeves sometimes will have like the ridge or the side will have like a like a wider sheen to it, or maybe like a rougher pattern kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's that's a thing. So, you know, yeah, educating players, we we want to give them the warning and also educate on ways that they can prevent this in, in the future. Yep. Uh, this As I said earlier, this infraction only applies to cards in the player's deck. Differently marked sleeves in the sideboard are not illegal unless they are put in the deck without being changed. So if you have, let's take it real extreme, if your deck is black sleeves and your sideboard is unsleeved, when you put those sideboard cards in the deck, you want to put those sideboard cards in black <laughs> sleeves that match the deck. Okay. Now, to make it real subtle, a lot of times when you're playing, your sleeves will start to get maybe that little wavy pattern at the top. Yeah. But your sideboard cards are have a nice crisp top. Okay. The fact that they're different, all my decks has these the the wavy the wavy tops, and all my sideboard cards have a nice clean crisp top. That's fine until you take one of the wavy cards out and put one of the crisp sleeves in. Then that becomes a problem. Um, And then the next statement is, unless investigating, judges are encouraged to alert players about concerns with marked sideboard cards. So when we are doing a deck check, if you notice, you know, the wavy pattern on the main deck and then on on the sideboard, all the cards are crisp, point that out to the player. Like when you return the deck... Unless you are trying to figure out if someone's cheating, say like, hey, hey there, buddy. Um, just just want to let you know, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't wait for game two for them to sideboard in and then be like, check, check, gotcha. 
Yeah, and also this goes for when they're not seated for a match. Like if a player comes up to you and goes, hey, Judge, I have a deck that has a lot of foils in it. Can you take a look at this? And you notice, oh, the foils are fine, but those sideboard sleeves are just pristine. Point that out too. Like we want to alert people to problems before they become real problems with a capital P. Yep. All right. So that's that's the problem. What's so? What do we do to fix it? We give a we give the warning. Mm-hmm. Do we just leave the mountain Luxodon hierarch and lightning helix? You know, with a with a ding or a scratch. What do we do? No, we don't. So we have an additional remedy that is listed as the player needs to replace either the card or cards or sleeve or sleeves with an unmarked version, or if no sleeves are being used, use sleeves to conceal the markings. So if you're playing a limited event and you're just going bare cards, uh, then you might be asked to pick up some sleeves or pull some sleeves out of your bag if you have some that are all uniform and use those to hide the markings. Uh, If the cards themselves have become marked through play in the tournament, the head judge may decide to issue a proxy. So, now, so, I definitely want to speak to that. So, so, so wait, ahead. so wait. I opened this really expensive mana crypt in my limited pool. You're not going to proxy that for me? I am not. Why not? Um, because that has not become marked through play in the tournament. Now, if your yeah. opponent shuffles your really expensive card and bends it, real feel bads for you. Here's a proxy. And this is really, really specific, and I think a lot of misunderstanding comes from this particular line, is that the head judge can issue a proxy, uh, especially with Nexus of Fate, it was kind of like obligatory that the head judge would be issuing like thousands of proxies at a Grand Prix weekend because of Nexus of Fate. Um, But the reality is, head judges don't issue proxies very often. In fact, I've been judging eight, almost nine years now. I only this weekend even considered issuing a proxy and actually had decided, oh, okay, this did get bent in the event of a tournament. Okay, I'll issue you a proxy. But then the player was able to just kind of flatten out the card a little bit on their own, swap out the sleeve, and it was fine. So I still have that proxy in my wallet as a reminder of the one time Hmm. I actually was prepared to give a proxy. Like, Like an example would be I'm putting my cards back in the deck box and I, like, one of the cards slides under the deck, and I just put the deck down on top of it, and now I have an, uh, an L-shaped card. That is okay. actually almost exactly what happened. Not fully L-shaped, but definitely got a bend right. to it. That's exactly what well, happened this weekend to a poor fellow's lion's eye diamond. Yep. Or uh, someone spills, spills something, and the, and the card becomes wet. Yeah, that's never and- happened. <laughs> yeah, never, never once. Never. I mean, there was a complete deck about a, a month or two ago, um, if you were following on Twitter, that, that was um, unfortunately submerged <laughs> due, yeah. to, due, due, due to an accident. Yeah, it was 58 table. proxies and two yeah. mountains. What, what is not is what I would not consider, though, if I'm doing, if I'm constantly doing that flicking thing, flick, 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 and the cards start to get that little V shape at the top. No. Yeah, the little that, swirl. I would not. I would. That's because there. There. It says the head judge may decide to issue a proxy, and it talks about um, the the rules for issuing proxies. Talk about um, negligent behavior, and I would think that constantly flicking and bending your cards in a particular way, repeatedly over and over and over again. What, what do you think's going to happen? That's no. You you did that to yourself. 
I mean, m- most um, of those players that have been doing that for years, the, they, they do so in such a way that um, seems to defy physics and, and all rational thought, and they don't actually damage your <laughs> cards that way. But um, if you are actually doing that and, and destroying your cards, then that's on you. Yeah. So let's talk about the two upgrades. There's two ways that mark sure. cards. You know, mark cards actually used to be two different infractions. There was mark cards no pattern and mark cards pattern. Yeah, and that makes sense. Maybe about but... ten years ago, they just combined them into one infraction with an upgrade clause. That's a good idea. Um, so the, the first upgrade is if the player is unable to find replacement cards, they may replace those cards with any combination of cards named planes. Island, swamp, mountain, or forest. As the deck list is being changed to match the new contents of the deck, the penalty is a game loss. This change may be reverted at a later point without further penalty if replacements for marked cards are found. Yep. Pretty so straightforward. Basically, anytime you got to change the deck list, that's going to be a game loss. Yep. Um, and the, the particular situation here is let's say, hypothetically, you are playing in a competitive rules enforcement level EDH tournament, and it is found that your Gaia's Cradle, your Judge Foil Gaia's Cradle, is warped. It is unlikely <laughs> that you are going to be able to find a replacement card for uh, that Gaia's Cradle. It's hard to find those yeah, these days. Yeah, uh, and... And that's a very practical application. I'm going to give players an even more practical application here because I do know some players listen to this, but also judges. Let's say that you're at an event that's standard and it's the release weekend of of the of, um, particular standard deck or whatever. What will happen is, is that the vendors there will often not have enough cards to even meet the demand of the people coming in that morning to play in the event let alone halfway through the event, will they have that one copy of whatever card that just came out in this set? Um, you mean you mean the players might be in a Pioneer Regional Championship and none of the vendors have Pioneer staples? It it Look, I know that it just Damn happened. happened. <laughs> I know that it just happened with just in the last month, but this is not something that has not happened before. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is yeah. a common theme. Which is why this rule is written the way, or why this upgrade is written the way that it's written, is because this this has happened before, and it will happen again, where vendors are not able to supply you with the actual item you need in a competitive environment. It just happens, folks. Yep. Yeah, if you're looking for four uncommons from the latest set, odds are you may not find all four of them, especially if it's a super common one. If there are any there, they get bought up real quick. Odds yeah. are you won't find one. So yeah. We're going to replace it with, I'm going to say a basic land. Yeah, 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 blah, 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 waste, yeah, snow-covered, whatever. But you're going to replace it with a basic, you're going to replace it with a, a, one of the, I'll call it the Alpha 5 uh, basics <laughs> instead of the Lorwyn 5. Um, but it does say this change may be reverted later because we say anytime you change the deck list, you know, there's there's a game loss involved. But in this particular case, we're putting it back. So we are changing the deck list, but we're reverting it back to its original form if they are able to find the cards. Like, for example, one of your buddies who's playing over in a side event does happen to have a Gaia's Cradle and can loan it to you because he's a really good friend. Um, yeah. So Notably, that won't revert the game loss. That and, just... 
allows you to revert your deck list so you can keep playing what you intended to play. Right. And I, I don't know if it's obvious or not, but it does say any combination of cards. That's the player's determination. The player chooses whether or not they're adding planes or whether they're adding swamps. You, know, you can't sit there and say, okay, well, you're playing elves. Here's three mountains. <laughs> you know, right. it, it, it's, I'm just taking that whole extra, this is common sense, but let's spell it out thing. <laughs> and yeah. and Unhelpful let's... judge strikes again. So before before we go on to the next upgrade, we typically give players once we make the determination that they need to that they you know that they need to find the card, we typically give ten minutes. Yeah. Okay. Before before it becomes uh, a, a, a you know before it gets upgraded because of the tardiness. Keep in mind that this is probably at the end of a deck check, a mm-hmm. marked cards investigation. So we are probably plus probably ten minutes already before we start looking for the replacement cards. We're looking at a ten to fifteen minute extension. Yeah. So you need to be you need to help that player. You know, if it's like maybe I need yeah. to go talk to a vendor. Yeah, you go over there and walk to the vendor with that player. And if the vent, you know, if you can interrupt the vendor, interrupt that vendor. You know. That kind of thing. If you can, if you can help, because clock is running. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and especially if you see the player is not necessarily the bold type to interrupt somebody who's speaking. Like we're on a clock that is much more important than most other interactions. Help them get to the front of that line, and not necessarily like tell someone, "Oh no, you you have to stop what you're doing and help me." But at least be like, "Hey, if you can help me, find me somebody who can as fast as humanly possible." I I at at the RC not for marked cards, but because the player lost a card, like he he counted out fifty nine cards, and we could not find the other card. He was able to find a replacement with nine minutes and fifty eight seconds consumed on the ten minute shot clock. Like he had two Ooh. seconds left on the shot clock, and it was it was really great. Like he ran he ran over and talked to vendors, couldn't find anything, and like texted a buddy, and the buddy just came like sprinting over, and then like pulled out a big giant binder and just started flipping, flipping, flipping. I found it. It was great. Oh my goodness, it was Amazing. great. It was great. It's feel good times. Here's your yeah. here's your ten minute extension, and then let me go tell the head judge what I did. That's brilliant. Um, <laughs> really is brilliant. Uh, All the, right. Yeah, the the other upgrade here is uh, if the head judge believes the deck's owner noticing the pattern of markings would be able to gain substantial advantage from this knowledge, the penalty is a game loss. And we've kind of alluded to it a couple times already, but something like where all the lands or a significant portion of the lands uh, have sleeves that are marked a particular way. That's not to say that there isn't a situation where this turns into a cheating investigation either. But I don't know how deep into that rabbit hole we need to go here. Uh, suffice it to say, if all of your combo pieces are marked in a very particular way, we're going to have a chat. If you're playing yeah. a reanimator deck and all of your reanimation targets are marked, you know, if you yeah. are, you're, you're running all of your uh, fetch lands have a particular marking. Yeah. Um, or all of your Tron lands have a particular marking on them. Oh. Uh, that's ever happened before. That. Okay, I got a, I got a really messy marked cards story dealing with Tron lands. Um, I, I will after after we finish talking about the upgrade stuff. So, few things few things to m- mention here is if the head judge believes that the deck owner noticing the pattern of marked cards 
would be able to gain a substantial advantage from this knowledge. So it's not gain an advantage because if one card is marked, let's say my one random forest, you know, I've got, I've got four forests in the deck. One of them is randomly marked. Okay. You could make an argument. If that card is sitting on the top of the library and I'm able to tell that that card is, is, a, is a forest, is that a substantial advantage? It's an advantage. Yes. Is it substantial? No. Nah. No, not really. Because, you know, that's that's one card out of 60. Now, if it was all four copies of the one dual face card in the deck that I can see through the sleeve, yes, knowing all my copies of my, my dual face cards, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a different issue. That be- starts becoming substantial. And it doesn't say that the head judge believes that the deck's owner did notice the pattern. It's just saying if they could notice the pattern, they would be able to gain an advantage. Yeah, and that brings up the idea of, you know, players feeling like, well, I didn't notice that until you pointed it out to me. Like, why are you penalizing me? Like, there is such a thing as an opportunistic cheater where you sit down, you play your match, you're shuffling, you're kind of rearranging, pile counting, whatever you want to do. And then you pick up on, oh, that has a mark there. Oh, that would be really helpful for me. I mean... There's a lot of money on the line. I guess I could. And then you're down a line that leads to big problems. So even the potential of there being something that you could notice and could take advantage of is all you need for that upgrade. One of the things that's important here too is is we keep talking about a marked card and we keep going talking about being able to see it from the from it being in the library somewhere. Um enable for it to be marked, you should be able to cut to it. Not every single time but if you pick up that pile of cards and if you can just grab the spot and pick it up and show it's the same card each time that card's marked yeah um it, if we it, can do it, it like two out of three times two out of three marked. or whatever you, you need to be able I, to do it with some consistency. i don't care i don't care if you can cut to it and let me let me tell you for why okay okay mm-hmm. one Okay, players who are going to mark their cards and cut uh, to cards, yeah. practice. Yeah, that's true. Okay, judges do not sit know. around and practice all the different ways to cut to cards that are marked. Sure. Second thing is, nowhere in this policy doc does it say anything about being, about able, being to able to cut to, cut to the card. It right. just says you can distinguish it while it's in the library. Right. So think that's about true. this. Uh, think let, about me, this. Let, me, let me rephrase just briefly. Okay. If you can cut to it consistently, then that's a problem. Yes. Yes. But I mean, you, you are right. you are distinguishing it. I would argue if you've got a foil and it's sitting on top of the library and it's bowed off the top of the library, that's also marked. The fact yes. that I can cut to it or not cut to it does not make a difference. The fact that mm-hmm. I can tell that that card's third from the bottom just by looking at it or I can tell that it's the next card, you know. That's an advantage. That's, that's yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now... I want to talk about why this is a game loss. Okay. We don't have a whole lot of penalties that have game losses. Typically warnings are for things that both players are able to see or the potential for advantage is very low. Like realistically, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of gameplay errors that have a high chance for advantage, but they all occur out in the open. Okay. Drawing extra cards, hidden card error used to be a game loss. 
And the reason why it was a game loss was because the advantage of we, we needed to offset the advantage. Getting an extra card is a very high advantage. Okay, it's also not something at the time we could easily fix. So we needed to have a high penalty to discourage people who, oops, I accidentally drew an extra card. Oh, no. You know, they're really cheating, but they're just good at lying. Like, we wanted to discourage the the people who, you know, if all it was, if drawing extra cards was just a warning, you know, put a random card back, we would have seen a lot of people try to cheat and then just kind of lie their way through because the opportunity cost is actually pretty low if you can get away with it. Absolutely. Right? And so when we stumbled on the, the well, we'll just reveal the hand and the opponent essentially gets to take the best card and get rid of it, that eliminated it's no longer a random card it's your best card you know we just eliminated the the incentive marked cards is kind of the same thing where the advantage gained by doing it if if having marked cards with a pattern was just a warning was just a wag of the finger then Mm -hmm. we would actually change the risk assessment for people that might consider marking their cards because now it goes from being, you know, DQ or game loss, you know, both are bad, to game loss or warning. Warnings are nothing. Yeah. So, and we we definitely can't just leave it. Like, if the cards are, if the cards are marked, we can't just be like, oh, it's a warning. Just leave it alone. Um, and, and on our, top of that, because I know there was talk about other things that happened this weekend that led to disqualifications, uh likely associated with a cheating penalty and that's where we're kind of drawing the line here between warning game loss and cheating investigation because once we start going down that line the question is do we have a strong likelihood that you knew that this was wrong are you gaining an advantage and you did it anyway great then we need to talk disqualification then you need to be removed from the event for the integrity of the tournament and i'm i'm pretty confident in the judges that were at SCG Cincinnati this weekend that if a player got disqualified for specifically a cheating investigation related to cards in their deck, that judge who made that call, likely the head judge for the event, uh, had a strong enough confidence that this was likely <laughs> happening. I like how you're being s- subtle and vague and yet not at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to walk a very fine line of I'm, not pointing I'm... fingers... I'm being explicit, I'm being very explicit and very detailed in a very vague way. <laughs> um, okay, so, right. And so let's, let's, let's just, uh, again, if you, if you sit there, I, I do want to illustrate or illustrate, I want to highlight again, substantial advantage. Okay, you can sit there and argue, well, if they know that, the, you know, that their one of their forests is on top or five cards down. That's that's a huge advantage, and it's a little tiny mark. Like you can you can talk yourself into this stuff. Okay, don't if if it it should be kind of obvious and easy easy to tell. Um, you don't have to be able to cut to the card. The card just has to be different. Okay, consider this smudges on card sleeves. I cannot cut two smudges on card sleeves, but that is still considered marking. Yeah. You know, okay. And then the the reason why it's a game loss is because marked cards are 
in in a you know they're hard for the opponent to detect. There is a significant uh, uh, potential for advantage, and you know the the whole statement. As much as I would love for judges to have like the D and D spell zone of truth up, where <laughs> when we are doing an investigation, we get the bad guy every single time. We you know sometimes whiff. I'm convinced there's a couple of higher level judges who are very experienced at this who do actually have that, like who literally just talk people into telling them the truth. It's amazing to watch. But most of us don't get that. That's like the super secret L5 spell book that you get. Yeah. So the now the argument is let's let's take on the argument of this is a game piece that I this is a Wizards of the Coast game piece. I should be able to play it in my deck without getting a game loss. The 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 big complaint is is I can if I leave a if I have a foil in my binder and I'm taking good care of it and I put it in a deck and it is warped and bowed that should be like I took care of that card and it is still warped. I did not leave it out in the car where it got sun bleached and warped as, as I did with a, a, a foil stone forge mystic once. Um, I, I don't know. I think there's something to this that like, first of all, the statement of I, this is a wizards of the coast game piece. I should be able to play this in my deck without repercussion. I think that statement in isolation, I 100% agree with. Yes. Yes, you should. Can you do so without gaining an advantage, without going against this policy that has been outlined? No, you can't. And that's the problem. Like, yes, Wizards should print cards that do not end up foiled like a Pringle out of the packaging when you open them like you do in Secret Lairs, like you used to in From the Vaults. That should not be happening. Go to the Professor's channel for more info on that. But that is the reality that we live in, is that some of these cards just exist this way from the manufacturer and unfortunately if you want to play those at a tournament that will not hold up to snuff with this policy now if you want to play that at your kitchen table knock yourself out because you shouldn't be cheating at your kitchen table anyway so nobody cares it's fine the thing the thing is the tournament the tournament can't be concerned with how the card got warped correct okay it because that doesn't change the fact that it is warped in the deck. Okay, mm-hmm. the tournament can't be concerned with how much money you spent on a card. Okay, and the mm-hmm. argument of it's bad customer service to game loss me. Well, you know because I'm I'm using a, an official Watsi card. Well, Watsi, if you are playing in a tournament, you're not Watsi's customer. Like nope. it's a, you're a different customer if that makes if that makes sense. Like yeah. you bought the card from a vendor, you are playing in a tournament of the TO. You know you are not Watsi's customer in that regard. And yeah. like think about it this way: you could also double up on on marked cards here completely unintentionally, and just because of how it's made. And this is me kind of still griping on how wizards can't print foils that are just flat for some reason, but. You know, if there's a card that you end up getting marked up through the event and we have to ask you to change it out, there's no copies in the room. And then you go buy a secret layer because you know that secret layer happens to have that card in there. But the only version they have is foil. 
you still run a chance that you open that package, you get a card that's as bad, if not worse, try to run that, and then you could end up with the same penalty all over again, even though we asked you to fix it. Like, and let, let, that's let's just think that can happen. Let's go one step further with that, because because you did use secret layers, and, and this is a point that I do want to make. Um, depending on the foiling process, or depending on the manufacturer, depending on the stream of it, uh, some cards that are foil may Pringle more than others. And secret layers... Um, for a while, were particularly prone to Pringling mm-hmm. in such a way that they were unusable as game pieces in 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 tournament play. The other part of this is is that cards aren't titanium, okay? Mm-hmm. They're paper, fancy paper, pretty paper, but they're still paper. You know, if you want to play a game where all the game pieces never change, um, find a game where they print cards and on a titanium Arena. or a metal card stock or metal stock. Um, you know, you, you can go out and get a whole bunch of the RK post tokens and invent a game with that stuff. The truth is, is that we play a game and it, it's, it's, you know, susceptible to environmental factors a little bit. Yeah. So one of the, the other things to point out, if you are playing in a sealed event and you open a card, a foil, and it is Pringled coming out of the pack, Okay, you bought a product. It's within the context of the tournament. The head judge is abs- it is absolutely appropriate to proxy that card. Okay, yep. Player brings it to the, the head judge's attention. It gets proxied. Cool. If you are playing a card in an event one year, even one month later, we we don't know. Like we suspect. You know, if you show us a foil, yeah, we can suspect because of a good printing. But but. That was not a product brought bought within the tournament. That was a product brought from home. Like there was a decision made to bring that card or cards yeah. or deck. Yeah, in that limited example, you don't have a choice. It came that way, provided to you by the person running that tournament or that organizer running that tournament. Therefore, yeah, they're up to them to proxy for you. Yeah, and... And another thing, like, at the event, if I am the judge who is taking this call and doing this thing, you will absolutely get empathetic and compassionate Brian. Because I'm being paid to be empathetic and compassionate. <laughs> okay. I love how the distinction has to be made. What? I, you know, when when I am, when I am, like, if I am drafting, drafting policy and stuff like that, I I think about, you know what what works for players and what doesn't and but there's there's a simple fact here is marked cards protects the other players in the event like when we start talking about like customer service and stuff like that it is actually good customer service to penalize a person with marked cards mm-hmm. because but it's it's not not for the person that gets the game loss they they feel terrible but the other 800 players in the event are actually a little bit safer as a result. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the things that we have to we have to take into consideration. Now, I'm going to tell you two stories that are very very different. Oh, the first one I was not privy to. Uh it was in a chat that I saw like after a day and I read and I was like, "Oh, oh, this is terrible." So the situation was it was um a player was playing a Tron deck. All of the cards were foiled. All of the cards were warped. Now, generally, if all foil cards are warped in the same way, then 
they're not differentiable. They're all they're all uniform Pringles. Okay. Yeah. However, the Tron lands were all more, or if they were like uh, the Double Masters, full art, whatever. They were substantially more warped. Well, <laughs> now the judge, the head judge, made the decision incorrectly to proxy those cards. Okay, well, not because an, they oh, became. That's an interesting. Right. That's an interesting twist. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But what was what was really funny is is like three quarters of the way through doing the fix, they realized that the very flat non-foil lands that they were putting in <laughs> did not have the same warp. Like basically they were marking the cards in the other direction. Oh no. Now, now, now where this would be for policy is if the person was unable to find replacement cards, okay, they would have to go to basic lands. But then what that would you still do? cause the same problem. That would still cause the exact same problem, right? Oh no! Right, right. And you can't just say like, "Ah, it's fine," because you've just pointed out to the player, like, first off, first off, they should have gotten a game loss. If all your Tron lands are more marked, that's absolutely that's absolutely a game loss. If the person's yeah. not still in the event, but yeah, it was just it was just an absolute like, oh, boy, right? That is gross. Um, it's very gross because now you've got to try and find le- basic lands that have the same foiling as the rest of the deck, or do you proxy the entire deck? Ugh. Right. In, unless there's, mm, yeah, yeah. It, here's where I'm at as a, as a general rule of thumb. Uh, unless there is damage that happened to the deck as a result of misadventure, I'm not proxying an entire deck for an event. And that's just a rule of thumb. I'm, I'm sure that there's certain situations out there where I would have to be forced to revise that that particular uh, thought that I have. But when you get down to the point where you're proxying entire deck, think about what it does to the overall tournament and yeah. re-examine your life choices. Yes, yeah. it is I, absolutely my my feeling is at this particular point you just like here's here's your refund. Yes. Yeah, yeah. that's a much better solution. Right. I think I want to throw out a PSA real quick before you go on to your next uh, yeah. story. But uh, as a player, I'm going to speak from the player side of me. So taking my judge cap off here uh, might not technically be on judge cast anymore, but it's OK. Um, yeah. I have been playing <laughs> modern uh, and playing specifically Amulet Titan in modern for a very long time uh, since the deck basically came onto the scene. And I foiled it out completely pretty early on in that deck being a deck. And I was, being a judge, incredibly paranoid about my deck ever being considered marked because of my affinity and, you know, uh, ultimate lunacy of trying to foil out the entire deck. So much so that, like, I took absurd preparations of making sure I double-sleeved all my cards, used perfect hards by KMC specifically to deal with the foiling, Mm -hmm. stuffed them, and made sure the deck lived inside of a custom little Wormwood deck box that I have that fits exactly the deck and its sideboard and the tokens I wanted for it, and then matched a few extra cards in there just to make sure there was lots of pressure, like, flattening out the deck at all times. And even then... After all that degeneracy, I still 
always brought my deck to the head judge at the beginning of an, of an event that I was going to play in that was competitive and said, can you take a look at this and just make sure that it looks okay right now? Because also right now is important because it could get marked later, but like foiling is all consistent here. So you can absolutely take a foil deck and have your shiny cards that are super valuable and super exactly what you want them to be just put in the work to make it work in a tournament or just bring a different copy of the deck for the tournament instead so so gentle listener in there you you listen to all the different things that marcus did and one of the things he listed was he listed a particular brand and product of of a card sleeve and what should not go without remark is that he still did other things and that means that Mm -hmm. those 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 sleeves as good as they are are not perfect and the only answer to a, a curve of foiling cards. Um, it's it's a nice product. It does help. Yeah. But if your card is going to Pringle hard, it's still going to be marked. Yep. And and a rule of thumb, okay, is one, th- one thing you can do. You can ask a judge at the beginning of the event, hey, are my sleeves okay? Or is this card too warped or something like that? When the judge answers that question, they are giving you an answer as it pertains to right now. Mm-hmm. Cards can become, as you shuffle cards, they can become warped or sleeves can become dinged or damaged. So basically, if the judge says, yeah, these are fine, that, yeah, this is fine, doesn't last much more than like a, a game or a match. The second thing that I'm going to say as a rule of thumb, if you are looking at your sleeves and you believe that there is a problem, there's probably a problem. Yep. Okay. Because what's, what that means is by you believing a problem means that you've noticed a difference and you're on the fence as to whether or not it's a big deal or not. Yeah. At that point, I think you're more asking yourself, can I get away with this? Which is not all right. Uh, yeah, I mean, you might not be asking it in in such star, staunch terms. Like, you might not have phrased it that way to yourself. You yeah. might be saying like, ah, I, I, you know, I really don't want to. You might be, I don't want to spend an extra eight bucks on sleeves. Yeah. So yeah. So so now my second my second story. Yes. Uh, I was deck checks. I was deck checks lead for an event, and hey, all this is Brian. I know I mentioned earlier that I was going to share two relevant stories, and I did. Uh, one of the stories was a story I decided to tell in the moment, but after a little bit of reflection post-recording, I decided that it wasn't really appropriate to share in such a public forum. So at some point in the future, I may decide to share a more detailed account, and while the story was funny and educational and a cautionary tale of what can happen when a judge is too lenient with regards to marked cards it could also be hurtful for those involved. So that story was cut. Thank you for understanding. So generally, this is and this is this is for 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 judges. Um, a way to tell if you think that the advantage, like you find a pattern and you think that there's a substantial advantage. This is just a gut check. If you find yourself thinking that the player needs to change sleeves right now, that is probably cause for an upgrade if it is a problem where they can change their sleeves at the end of the end of the match it's probably just a warning okay that's that's typically a, a 
a gut check on the severity. Okay. You know, we talk about like, like if it, if you look at what the cards are and it's serious enough where you're like, they got to fix this right now. Mm-hmm. The reason why you're saying they got to fix this right now is because you've recognized the potential for a, a, a large advantage yeah. is kind of what I'm getting at. But yeah, that other situation, so Brian, I was just let like, me ask you a question. Yeah, because uh, I've heard this <laughs> said a few times and I've heard some differing opinions on it. Uh, there have been higher up judges who have said over the years that if you're going to ask the player to change their sleeves or change the card you should be issuing the penalty with either a warning or a game loss, whatever it is, but you have to be issuing the penalty. Uh, Some people think that you don't have to issue a penalty if you're just like, hey, you know, that that sleeve looks a little beat up and like you could notice something there, go change that, and they think that's just fine. What do you think about that? Uh, Got to put you on the spot here, but... No, no, okay, I'm I'm thinking about this. Like, generally speaking... If it's, huh, I would say it's, it's very context driven as to when the conversation is, Mm -hmm. if it's between matches or anything like that, and there's no, there's no deck per se, then yeah, yeah, just, just fix it. Yeah. Um, But I'm more talking like you've done a deck check. You're like, Hey, I noticed these sleeves aren't looking that great. I want to ask the player to change them. That to me sounds, and oh, I'm giving away my perspective, okay. but like in that instance, that to me sounds like you should be issuing a penalty and asking them to change it as part of the resolution. Oh for that yeah, penalty. yeah. If if I if I am if I'm doing a deck check and I find several several cards with nicks or dings and there's no pattern, like I spent time doing you know doing a, a an investigation. Mm-hmm. Okay, then yeah. If I'm if I'm like walking by a match in progress and see one of the forests kind of warbly on the battlefield mm. and everything else looks fine. I might say like, you know, I might just go over to the land box and get a land and be like, you know, fix this before next game. Okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. That's right. a lot more context for sure. Right. That's a lot more context. But if I'm in the middle of a deck check and I'm doing an investigation and I'm looking through a bunch of cards and I'm finding stuff and then I'm looking for like other cards and stuff like and then I'm going back and saying like, hey, before you start this game, you need to fix these things. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely I, I say that because there's been some some waffling back and forth on that. And as far as I've always been concerned, especially like from deck check land where I've lived so long, uh, I always want to make sure if we are asking them to make any changes to their sleeves or their cards it's because we're issuing them a penalty even if it's just a warning issue the penalty and make sure that they know that this is a problem yeah yes because one of the reasons one of the reasons why we we track these things is so that if there is a problem over time mm-hmm. we're able we're able to address the things um also presumably with a deck check Okay, you've identified all of the problems, whereas mm-hmm. my particular situation, I was just eyeballing things from a distance. It was like, here, hey, <laughs> fix this for us. I did not, you know, go over everything and confirm that the deck was A-OK, good. Now, I might target him for a deck check next, you know, next round. Very but, valid. Yeah. Targeted deck checks are a thing, and they're wonderful. Yes. Yeah, deck checks are completely random, except when they aren't. 
Yep, and you know what you did. Yeah. A uh, few other things. Uh, do we want to talk about? Oh, so things with uh, with marked cards. A cheat that I was made aware of very very early in my judge career. Uh, it was actually kind of cool. We had a there was a conference where they actually had a magician give a seminar on marked cards and shuffle cheats. Oh man, I would pay to be at that conference. Right. It was probably like I'm thinking about it 12 years later and I'm like still by far the the best thing. Now what's actually really funny is is this was on this was on a Friday and Saturday he's playing in the GP. And like he, oh, kept no. getting, he kept getting he kept getting weird stares from all the judges because <laughs> he just spent he just spent an hour showing us all the ways you could cheat. You know, not right not before. not not for nothing. And in at least two different occasions that I'm aware of, pro pro mm-hmm. uh, a pro player has said something along the lines of, "Yeah, it's amazingly easy to do this thing," and then demonstrates the shuffle cheat of some kind. Yeah. And with their own deck with their own deck and that's just really a bad look but but a thing a thing that this particular the thing that this this person did was was a marked cards cheat that i hadn't not considered and it was he showed marking his opponent's cards as they played like game one he would ask to see a card and he would pick it up and when he picked it up He'd slide it across the table and he'd lift it up in such a way that it bent one of the corners of the sleeves. Wow. And he did that and he did that on multiple copies of the uh, of the same card. And then in game three was like, hey, I think my opponent's got marked sleeves. Oh boy. Right. You know, the the um, flip the flip side of that is if you've done that, you can actually shuffle away those cards if you don't want your opponent to uh-huh. have them or constantly feed them to your opponent uh-huh. if you want to uh yeah there's there's a oh. lot of things you can do with that yeah. oh that's terrifying yeah uh another marked cards again cheat ran into again this was a long time ago uh someone had colored in the little white dot on the back of the card on all of their basic lands <laughs> so when they're sleep because with you when you have um not fully opaque sleeves a lot of times that little dot is visible yet yeah, judges always always check white sleeves pink sleeves and yellow sleeves uh those are the mm-hmm. those are the main ones that end up being Worst not defenders. opaque enough orange as right. well but i mean but but those are those you're normally checking for like double face cards right yeah yeah, yeah. that white dot is oof yeah got to keep you so, on your toes deck check team so like now I, I've only, I only saw that or heard about that the one time, okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, super uh, super clever. So it is a thing that I will uh, still even twelve years later um, do a, a a quick a quick eyeball on those because you know sketchy players. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think we've kind of marked cards it to death. Um, oh. Is one a pattern? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Yes. Uh, prime example is is whenever there's a one of in the deck. 
Mm-hmm. Um, okay. A, a deck that runs uh, like a Tron deck that runs, I don't know, like a Karn or or a Goblin deck that runs Kiki Jiki. Maybe maybe they're running two of those, but you know, a situation where it's a one of and you need that one of to to win. Yeah, marked. So yeah, so Kiki cord that sort of thing. One is not necessarily a pattern. Okay, not inherently, but it's still. But it, okay, but like it if it alarms. is if it is the one copy of the card that you need for your combo, and it is the one card that is marked, that is extremely sus. If you know, well, because here here's the thing: if I know that my one Urza's Tower, even though I've got twelve Urza's lands, if I know that that one Urza's Tower is marked, then whenever it comes up, I know that the next card is an Urza Tower. Mm-hmm. That's not random anymore. I know, and that's where we get into where the where we start getting into a substantial advantage. Okay, one is not necessarily a pattern. Okay, if it is the one reanimation target you need for your deck, yes, that is a that is a pattern of markings that would be able to gain you a substantial advantage. But if it is one opt out of four, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, and there okay. it it's all context dependent, and that's the thing you have to think about when you're doing these investigations. When you're looking around at like, okay, what makes this a problem? And that it, just yeah. like when you're doing a cheating investigation, is there an advantage to be had? Yes, great. Let's move further. But if there's not, don't exhaust yourself. And it's it's not even it's it's not even it's if you feel that there could be an advantage or there might be an advantage. Yeah. Okay, you give that yeah, still can a you sniff, can talk away. sniff test. Okay, just don't like you can you can argue yourself into a situation where everything has a potential advantage, but you know let's 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 be real here. Just don't yeah. don't talk Take yourself about twenty percent off there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can talk yourself into anything. I'm glad you're appreciating that. Just don't <laughs> pump the brakes. Put that idea right through the windshield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So anything else for the good and welfare of marked cards and, and uh, associated topics aside from the whole hologram sleeve or, or reflective back sleeve issue? So I know why highly reflective backs are not allowed. And yeah. that's because you might be able to tell what the card is. Like you're basically talking about like a mirror on the back of a card. So if you start to lift right. a card up, you can tell what the face of it is. Oh, yeah. Without actually flipping it over, and it's and it's um, also in there because at a particular point in time they seem to be um, a popular item for players to use. Um, that has not been yeah. the case in a while. Uh, there was a, I think, even a Wizards product that was uh, had a reflective back, <laughs> um, but that hasn't been around in years, so it's really not something that you'll probably see in the wild. But if you do, yeah, be aware of it. So, so let's let's be real here about the, the the various departments of wizard. We tend to refer to them as this big monolithic organization, all marching in some sort of lockstep, lockstep. unity. Yeah. yeah, they're really just like ten goblins in a trench coat, and <laughs> yes, and and the left hand the the fourth left hand has no idea what the third right hand is doing and this isn't meant as an insult it's a very large company with a lot of different departments so you'll get you'll get situations where 
there is a Jurassic Park dinosaur card that looks blue when it is clearly a green card. Okay, that is because no one bothered to ask the right person, hey, what color is this card? Do you think this is going to cause confusion? Like, <laughs> they just looked at it and were like, dinosaur, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Creature land. So, right. So that's where you <laughs> run into situations. That's where you run into situations where wizards might make super shiny sleeves and then distribute it and it, it, it gets to whatever organization and it starts getting passed out. And then someone's like, uh, you do realize this violates your own tournament rules, right? You know, we well, can even see that in the tournament software. What was the chicken or egg here? Was highly reflective sleeves in, in the tournament, um, notes reflective of the fact that the product was already out there or was that no, there before the before. product went out? I think it was before. But it's it's highly reflective Bax has been there as long as I've been a judge. Okay, cool. Um, and I understand where it says sleeves with artwork on their backs may be subject to additional scrutiny, uh, where it it um, if there's no solid border around the edges because the if the art doesn't hit if the art doesn't hit the edge of the sleeve in the same place. Yeah, in every, you're, you're talking you're, you're talking about a millimeter of space. It's probably not a thing, but I understand why it's there. Too. Right. Or if, you know, there, there's that kind of thing or if the card gets turned around or something like that, it becomes very easy to tell if the, if the art goes all over the edges. I don't, I'll be honest, where it says sleeves with hologram patterns across some or all of the sleeve front or back are not allowed. I have no idea what that is, especially when uh, Ultra Pro used to have a little holographic stamp on the front of every single one of their sleeves. Oh, yeah. Like, like, why is it saying a holographic pattern across some or all of the sleeve fronts? I I don't know. No idea. Awesome. Very cool. Um, so we don't have anything else aside from that little that little no. uh, uh, trip down memory memory lane. One short little thing. Yeah. Players who are listening or judges who want to share this with players who may be interested in this kind of topic. Um, if you're ever in doubt, if you ever want to rage rant on social media, feel free to reach out to your local judge and just have a chat with them about it. We're happy to talk about this. Clearly, it's something we're all very passionate about and it's something that really matters and there's a lot of subtlety to it. And if you're not thinking about it from that perspective, you might not pick up that one particular thing that makes all the difference so we're here to help yes we are well at least at least marcus and i are i'm not sure what brian's doing over there hey no. brian i'm not i'm not getting paid <laughs> um <laughs> wow and on that note uh that's our episode join us next time when we potentially talk about confidence uh that is if we're feeling up to it uh, until then you can send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com or like us on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter at JudgeCast, and on Blue Sky at judgecast.bsky.social, and check out any of our social media for invite links to our Discord server for judges new and old, fans, and anyone who supports the judging community. I'm Charles Featherer, and I keep it fair. I'm Marcos Sanchez, and I keep it fun. I'm Brian Perlman, and I keep it bent. Technically.